Luke chapter 24, if you would please. I count it a privilege to be able to open up the Word of God to you, I really do, and look forward to being able to do so this evening and pray that you do receive a, a blessing from uh, what God has for us. Let's open up with a word of prayer if we could please. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the opportunity to be able to be here. We do pray, Father, that you will take the time that we have and that you would use it. And Father, I pray that you would fill me with your precious Holy Spirit. I pray that the things that I say and do would bring honor and glory to you. I pray that you would give me the strength physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually to be able to preach your word. We thank you for your goodness. In thy name we pray, amen. I'd like you to look at verse 17 and following, if you would please. The Bible says, and he said unto them, Luke 24, what manner of communications are these that ye have one to another as ye walk and are sad? The one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered, said unto him, art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem and has not known the things which are come to pass here in these days? And he said unto them, what things? And they said unto him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was prophet, which was a prophet mighty indeed and word before God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And besides all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were at the, early at the sepulcher. And when they found not his body, they came, saying that they had also seen a vision of angels, which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher, and found it even as so as the women had said, but they saw it not. Then he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh unto the village whether they went, and he made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them, and it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread, and blessed it, and brake it, and gave to them. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him not, and he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, Did not our hearts burn within us, while he talked with us by the way, and while he opened to us the Scriptures? And they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together and them that were with them. I'd like you to, thank you, you can be seated. I'd like you to think about how Jesus is found in all of Scripture. We're talking about Jesus is better and that he is a better Savior than anything that we can put our trust in. Some time ago, I was watching a, a show on television where there were these guys who were pitching uh, a, a, um, a product of camouflage. And this, this camouflage, it was for duck hunting. And to be honest with you, it was probably the best camouflage uh, that I've ever seen. It was absolutely amazing. Uh, it wasn't your typical camouflage that you have that just has the spots on it and it looks and you kind of blend in. But they picked up, they actually took photographs of um, like duck blinds and they took the photographs and then they had them um, printed on 
these, this clothing and turned it into camouflage. They took pictures of themselves from like a helicopter. They had somebody take a picture, and then they asked these would-be consumers to pick them out in the picture to try and be able to find them. They showed it on TV. You couldn't see them. It was unbelievable. And their whole point was the better that they could hide, the better that they would be able to get ducks and be able to shoot down ducks. And so they had this camouflage that was phenomenal. It was absolutely phenomenal. It looked like the duck blind. You know, many times that's the way we look at trying to see Christ in Scripture. Like Christ has put on some type of camouflage and we can't find him. You know, and, 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 we, and, we, and we have to, he's playing almost like hide and seek with us. That's not the, the God of the Bible. His will is made plainly clear to us. His word is very clear to us. And Jesus in the Bible is, very, is, is, very, is made very plain to us. He's in all of Scripture, even in the Old Testament. And as I mentioned to you this morning, the problem is that it's not that Jesus is hiding in the Old Testament. It's that we do not know enough about Scripture to really see him. We, we don't know what to look for. We don't know what to, uh, to, to the markings that he's left to, to be able to see him there. And I want us to see, as I mentioned to you this morning in this passage, where, from this passage where Jesus is in Scripture and how this passage points us to Christ. We saw this morning that the Scripture points to Jesus as a compassionate Savior. And I gave you, uh, when, we were, when we're upset, I mentioned that to you. He points us to Scripture when... It points to Scripture when we don't understand in verse 15. And then when he is unknown to us, and we spent some time uh, on those three sub-points this morning. But I want you to see how Scripture points to Jesus, not only as a compassionate Savior, but secondly from this text here, as a counseling Savior. As a counseling Savior. First, if you're taking notes, Jesus wants to know our concerns. Jesus wants to know our concerns. Jesus, as I mentioned, he is walking on the road with these uh, two disciples, and he engages these disciples, and he asks them, he says, what are you guys talking about? He asks them, why are you so sad? It's obvious that their, their countenance was changed, and he asked them not because he didn't know what was going on, but because he wanted to hear what was on their heart. See, the reason that we pray and the reason that we call out to God and the reason that we, we talk to God is not because he does not know what's going on in our hearts and our lives. It's because he wants us to be able to, to, to say it and he wants us to be able to hear actually what we're thinking. Take a look, if you will, in Psalm. I want you to turn over there, Psalm chapter 18, if you will. Jesus wants to know our concerns. Any good counselor wants to know the concerns of an individual. Jesus wants to know our concerns. Psalm chapter 18 and verse 6, the Bible says, In my distress I called upon the Lord and cried unto my God. He heard my voice out of his temple, and my cry came before him even into my ears. Turn to Psalm chapter 30, if you would please, in verse 8. Psalm chapter 30 and verse 8. I want you to see this here. So Jesus wants to know our concerns. Psalm chapter 30 and verse 8, the Bible says, I cried to thee, O Lord, and unto the Lord I made supplication. 
couple pages over to Psalm chapter 34. Psalm chapter 34. You know what the Bible's teaching here? Is that Jesus wants to know our concerns. We are to cry out to God. Let him know what is on our hearts. Psalm chapter 34 and verse 4. I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and delivered me from all my fears. Verse 6. The poor man cried. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all his troubles. Turn over to Psalm chapter 40, if you will. Psalm chapter 40. The Bible says in verse 1, it says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me, and he heard and heard my cry. I want you to take a look at one last psalm here, Psalm chapter 77. What the psalmist is showing us over and over and over again is that when there is a concern on our heart, that Jesus wants to know our concern. He is a a, a savior that is also a counselor. Psalm chapter 77 and verse 1. The Bible says, I cried unto God with my voice, even unto God with my voice, and he gave ear unto me. You know what I'm saying? God wants to hear from me. That's an amazing thing to think about. That God wants to hear from you. All throughout the Psalms, you find that the people of God cry out to God, letting him know their concerns. I want you to think just for a minute. Could you imagine what you would feel like if you overheard your child telling their friend that they could not come to you and tell you their concerns because you felt, they felt that you had more important things to think about? Could you imagine that? Maybe your kids are in the room playing and you overhear and, and, and you don't mean to, but you overhear your daughter, your son saying, well, I, I don't really want to tell my parents that because they just got too many other things, important things to think about. Man, if you heard that, if you're, if you're any kind of parent, you'd be heartbroken. Any type of serious parent wants to know the concerns of their child's heart. They want their child to be able to come to them and, and be able to, to tell them their, their concern. And I can't help but think that that's what God's like when we don't come to him with our concerns. I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6, if you will. See, Scripture points to Jesus as a counseling Savior. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6. What does the Bible say there? Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. It says, be careful for nothing. You know what it doesn't say there? It doesn't say, if it's small, don't bother God with it. Last night, we, we, uh, we were... Uh, helping my daughter Alexis with some of the things that she had from her uh, shower and something had gotten misplaced. And she was, oh, oh no, I, I, I don't know what happened to this. And, I, I, and my wife's like, I know it's here. And so I said, now just wait a second, we'll, we'll, we'll find it. And they're going, oh, well, I know it's here. And we started, started uh, just talking about it. Wait a second, no, I gave it to you. And you, I know you gave it to me, but where is it? I can't find it. And, and I said, hold on. I said, why don't we just pray about it? And so my wife looked at me, and it was almost, well, go ahead. If you want to pray about it, go ahead. 
<laughs> and so I, I, we were standing around our dining room table. I said, I, I prayed, and I asked the Lord to be able to help us to find it. So I said, all right, now let's just go through this here, this here. And then for some reason, the Lord put on my heart, well, let me just sit over here at the dining room table and let me go through. There was a stack of things right here. Let me go through these here. And just as I started to, I said, hey, what's this? And I moved this thing, and it was sitting right underneath there the whole time. See? The Lord answers, but that was something silly. Most people, oh, you're going to pray about that? Yeah, yeah, why not? Uh, oh, I, I was thankful for that simple answer to prayer. I don't want you to think that God is a, musician, uh, a, a magician up in heaven that whenever you pray, you're going to get an immediate answer. Sometimes you do get an immediate answer, but other times he wants us to continue to pray. The point is that Jesus is a counseling Savior, and he wants to know your concern. That was a concern of my daughter's heart. She brought it to me, and then I brought it to our Heavenly Father, and he said something that simple. There you go. I would have never, I had already been sitting in that, that seat earlier, and there was no reason for me to go back around that table and, and sit back down there and say, all right, well, let me go back through here. And you say, well, that was just human reasoning just to be able to do that. No, the Lord, I believe the Lord prompted my thinking to be able to do that, and then to just be able to say, well, hey, what's this here? And I picked it up, and there it was. Hmm. See, the point is that God wants to know our concerns, whether they're little or whether they're big. You know, most of the time, when, when do we go to God? When do we cry out to God? Man, when things are big. When things are big. You want to know why we don't cry out to God when things are little? Because, th here you go, listen now, because we think we can handle it. I've got this. I, I don't need... I mean... Let's think about it. Eventually, don't you think, now let's just be humanistic, don't you think that we would have probably found that if we just kept moving stuff around? Humanistically, maybe so. But I don't know about you, but I was just blessed to be able to see God work in that little way because I depended upon him at that point in time. And my family depended upon him at that point in time. See, you can live in a humanistic realm and not enjoy Jesus as your counselor, or you can live in a spiritual realm and actually enjoy Jesus answering prayer and being your counselor and seeing that he's concerned even about the little things. But not only does Jesus want to know our concerns, Jesus, the good counselor, wants to correct our wrongs. Take a look at verse 25. Jesus wants to correct our wrongs. Verse 25, then he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. See, a good counselor not only wants to know your concerns, but a good counselor will also correct you when you're wrong. He'll correct you or she'll correct you when you're wrong. Jesus in this verse lets his two travel companions know that they are wrong in their thinking concerning the Messiah. And, in, and just in this portion of Scripture, we find that Jesus addresses a few issues. First, they were slow to believe what the prophets said about the Messiah. See, when they looked at the Old Testament, I'm going to tell you what they saw. When they looked at the Old Testament, the only thing that they saw was a ruling Messiah. When they looked at the Old Testament, they saw a liberating Messiah. When they looked at the Old Testament, all that they saw was a conquering king Messiah. When they looked at the Old Testament, all that they saw was freedom from bondage Messiah. 
See, what the disciples were actually saying when they said, oh, we, we had trusted that he would, uh, he would have redeemed Israel. They were talking about, they were talking about political redemption. That's the, that, they, were, they, were, they weren't thinking that, oh, we were hoping that he would save Israel from their sins. That could have been a play on words, we understand that, but their main thought process was that, wait a second, we're hoping to get out from underneath this bondage. That's the way they saw the Old Testament. Now, let's not be too quick to be able to judge those two disciples because most Christians today, you know where they, how they see the Old Testament? And there is, there is a wave of Christian, quote-unquote Christianity that doesn't want anything to do with the Old Testament because all that they see in the Old Testament is a God of wrath. So we would be quick to say, well, wait a second. I can't believe that they didn't see Isaiah 53, the suffering servant. And I can't believe that they didn't see that Christ was going to die for uh, the sins of the nation. And, and uh, I can't believe that they didn't see that. Well, wait a second. I would say to the 21st century Christian, wait a second. How come all that you see is a wrathful God in, in the Old Testament? How come you don't see Jesus throughout the Old Testament? Because he's there. He's all over those pages. As a matter of fact, the Old Testament, my friends, the Old Testament drips with the grace of God. Look at how much that he put up with the children of Israel. It teaches us, the Old Testament teaches a great deal about grace and the patience and the long-suffering and the mercy and the chance after chance after chance that God gives his people. And see, we would be quick to be able to say, I can't believe that they didn't see that. We need to make sure that we're actually looking at the Old Testament properly as well. See, they didn't see the suffering Messiah. They didn't see the despised Messiah. And they most definitely didn't see the crucified Messiah. But Jesus also addressed in a roundabout way to pointing them back to the scriptures that they were looking at their circumstances the wrong way. The circumstances that had just taken place, they were looking at it as if man was in control. See, a good counselor will not only want to know your concerns, but a good counselor will correct your wrongs. The first thing that Jesus addressed is, you missed me in Scripture. You missed me in the Old Testament. He Because he, Jesus says from Moses all the way through the prophets, and he teaches them about himself. But he also corrects their wrong because they were looking at the crucifixion as something that humans had total control over. Take a look at verse 20, if you will, of Luke chapter 24. And now the chief priest, this is the men, these two uh, disciples here, these walking with the, on the road with, with Jesus, and how the chief priest and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. Look, folks, I want you to turn over to John chapter 10. It was not the chief priest and the rulers who took the life of Jesus. Jesus said, that in, in the scriptures. I want you to take a look at John chapter 10. They were looking at it the wrong way. They, they, they had, that's why I believe that they missed Jesus in the Old Testament. One of the reasons. Like, see, our chief priests and our rulers, they delivered him, condemned him to death, and, and now he's dead. They were looking at it as a man is in control of the circumstance. And Jesus is getting ready to, he's correcting their thinking. Take a look at John chapter 10, verses 17 and 18. Therefore doth my father love me, because I lay down my life that I, might that I may take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my father. 
The simple fact of the matter is, oh, the chief priest, the, the rulers, they were just pawns. Jesus laid down his life for you and for me. No man took it from him. Some people say, well, Jesus was murdered. No, no, he wasn't murdered. He sacrificially laid down his life. Now, from a human standpoint, we would say that. But I've read in quote-unquote commentaries and things like that, looking at it from a man's perspective, and they're saying, oh, Jesus was murdered. And I'm thinking to myself, man, did you miss John chapter 10? Wait a second here. Jesus didn't go to the cross, you know, fighting the crowds. Back. No, no, I don't want to go. No, he willingly went to the cross. He willingly laid down his life. And he's correcting the thinking of these disciples. How many times are we slow to take God at his word? How many times do we only see, do we, I should say it this way, how many times do we have to see God do what only God can do before we believe his word? So many times we are so slow, and that's what he was condemning here, or criticizing, or correcting, I should say, these disciples. They were slow to believe the word of God. See, Scripture points to Jesus as a counseling Savior so we can tell him our concerns, so he can correct our wrongs, but also he wants to confirm the truth. He wants to confirm the truth. Take a look at verses 26 and 27. He wants to confirm the truth. It's one thing to hear your concern. It's one thing to be able to uh, uh, correct the wrongs. But then what you need to do, a good counselor, and that's exactly what Jesus is. He wants to confirm the truth in our hearts and our lives. Verse 26 says, Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, now look here, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus is in all of Scripture. Jesus is showing them from the Scriptures that it's all about himself, that he ties the Scriptures all together, that the theme of the Old Testament all the way through the New Testament is Jesus Christ. Hey, in this drama of redemption, there is one lead, and the lead is the Lord Jesus Christ. It is all about Christ. So many times, you know what we do? We try and find ourselves in here. And we try, look, if you just look for Jesus, he'll help you in your issue. But you know what we do so many times? We look at the Bible to be able to find, oh, well, how can, I, how can this be almost like a, instead of pointing us to Jesus, a self-help book? I'm not saying that the Bible doesn't help us. It does. I'm not saying that we don't go to the Bible when we've got concerns. We ought to. But what I'm saying is when we go to the Bible, we need to be looking for Jesus. Because last time I checked, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Listen, you can't separate Jesus from the Word. They're one and the same. See, and he wants to confirm the truth in us. And we must understand that all 39 books of the Old Testament and all 27 books of the New Testament point to one person, and it's to confirm the truth in us. What did Jesus talk to these disciples about when he went from Moses all the way through the prophets? I can't say, but I would happen to think that if we were to think about what they were talking about when he started in Genesis, he probably started talking to them about how he was the creator and promised redeemer. Then when he went to Exodus, I'm sure that he talked to them about being the Passover lamb. 
And as he expounded Leviticus to him about how he is the great high priest, the one that is now seated on the right hand of the Father, when he went to Numbers, I'm sure that he mentioned to them that he is the water in the desert, the only one that can satisfy the longing of the soul. In Deuteronomy, he tells them about how he becomes the curse for us so that we can have the cure for our soul. In Joshua, he probably expounds to them about how he's the commander of the Lord's army and he is the protector of all his children. In Judges, he probably told them about how he delivered, delivers us from injustice. In Ruth, how Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. In 1 Samuel, how he is our all-in-one. He is the prophet, priest, and king. In 2 Samuel, he probably told them about how he is the king of grace and love. In 1 Kings, how he is a greater ruler than Solomon would ever be. In 2 Kings, how he is the par par powerful prophet for all of us who come unto him. In 1 Chronicles, I'm sure that he told them about how he is the son of David that is coming to rule and to reign. In 2 Chronicles, he probably mentioned to him that he is the king of kings that is to reign eternally. In Ezra, he probably proclaimed to them that he is the, he is the priest that proclaims freedom to all. In Nehemiah, he is the one who restores the broken down and builds up those of the broken heart. In Esther, he probably told them that he is the protector of his people. In Job, he probably told them that he is the mediator between God and man. In Psalms, he probably told these two disciples on the road to Emmaus that he is our song in the morning and he is our song in the night. As Psalm says, when I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches. In Proverbs, he told, probably told them that he is the wisdom of wisdom. In Ecclesiastes, he told them that he is the meaning of life. In Song of Solomon, that he is the, the author of faithful love. In Isaiah, he told them that he was the suffering servant for us. In Jeremiah, that he is the weeping prophet of all those who have spurned him. In Lamentations, he assumes God's wrath for us so that we don't have to have the wrath of God upon us. In Ezekiel, he probably unfolded for them that he is the son of man. In Daniel, he might have spoke to them how he was the stranger in the fire with us. In Hosea, he probably said, I am the faithful husband even when we run away. In Joel, he probably told them that, he's the sending, uh, that he is sending his spirit to his people. In Amos, he probably told them that he delivers justice to the oppressed. In Obadiah, we see that he is the judge of those who do evil. In Jonah, he is the greatest missionary of all time. In Micah, he cast our sins into the deepest sea of his forgetfulness. In Nahum, he is the peacemaker proclaiming future world peace we can't even imagine. In Habakkuk, he crushes injustice. In Zephaniah, he is the warrior who saves. In Haggai, he restores our worship to where it should be. In Zechariah, he prophesies a Messiah pierced for us in Malachi. He is the son of righteousness who brings healing to the nations. See, Jesus is in all of Scripture. You can find him in Matthew as the Messiah King and in Mark as the Messiah who is the servant and in Luke as the Messiah who is the deliverer and in John who is the, God, who is the, Messiah, the Messiah who is God in the flesh. 
In Acts, my friend, you can find him as the spirit who dwells in his people. In Romans, the righteousness of God. In 1 Corinthians, is the power and love of God. In 2 Corinthians, he is the down payment for what is to come. In Galatians, he is our very life. In Ephesians, he is the unity of the church. In Philippians, he is the true and only joy of the Christian life. In Colossians, he holds the supreme position in all things. In 1 Thessalonians, he is our comfort in the last days. In 2 Thessalonians, he is our returning king. In 1 Timothy, he is the Savior of the worst of sinners. In 2 Timothy, he is the leader of all leaders. In Titus, he is the foundation of truth. In Philemon, he is our mediator. In Hebrews, he is our high priest. In James, he matures our faith. In 1 Peter, he is our hope in times of suffering. In 2 Peter, he is the one who guards us from false teaching. In 1 John, he is the source of all true fellowship. In 2 John, he is God in the flesh. In 3 John, he is the source of all all that which is true. In Jude, he protects us from stumbling. And in the book of Revelation, he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. And he is coming again. And the one who makes all things new, Jesus truly is a counseling Savior, and he can be found through all of Scripture. Scripture points to Jesus as a compassionate and counseling Savior, but thirdly this evening, Scripture points to Jesus as the continuing Savior, as the continuing Savior. Take a look at verses 34 and 35 this evening. Saying, the Lord is risen indeed, and hath appeared to Simon. And they told what things were done in the way, and how he was known of them in breaking of bread. Scripture points to Jesus as the continuing Savior, First, we see that he is a risen Savior in verse 34. He is a risen Savior. Do you know what happened on this road to Emmaus? These two disciples received their PhD in Old Testament theology. You know, at that point in time, they knew more about the Old Testament than any other people upon the face of the earth. I would have loved to have been in that classroom setting. Man, could you imagine being taught by Jesus himself. But these would-be disciples, they received their PhD from Jesus in Old Testament uh, uh, theology, and the Bible tells us that their eyes were opened to be able to behold who he was. You know what I find interesting? Now, the day is, is long gone. It's more towards the evening now. They've already walked seven miles from Jerusalem. We know that they stayed in Jerusalem for a while in the morning time. And we believe that it was later in the afternoon. And you say, why do, you, why do we believe that? Well, there's some clues in Scripture. They asked Jesus to, conti- to, to go with them into the house. He was going to continue on. But they say, no, no. And it was almost, no, no, it, it's late now. And we want you to come into the house. Why is that? Because it was dangerous to travel at night on the roads there that time. And so they, they constrain Jesus to come in the house, and he goes in the house, and then they break bread. They have, they have a meal, and then immediately the Bible says their eyes were opened. And you know what I find interesting? That they didn't wait to go to the next day to go back to Jerusalem. They didn't wait to be able to go tell the other disciples. They got up. It says Jesus vanished out of their sight. They got up, and they went right away. You say, why is that so interesting? They wanted Jesus to come and make sure that he was safe and spend time with him. 
but they could care less about their safety. Once their eyes were opened up to the, to the true knowledge of Jesus Christ and be able to hear what he had said, they were full of so much joy, they couldn't wait to get back to Jerusalem. They turned around and walked another seven miles back to Jerusalem. See, there was something in their hearts. It said that their hearts were on fire because of what they had heard and what they had seen. You say, what is that telling us? See, since Jesus is alive, he continues to save those who are lost and without him. And he continues to draw people unto himself. And he continues to use the preaching of the cross, which is the power of God. He continues to save. See, so don't give up hope if someone rejects the gospel. Don't stop sharing Christ, even if they won't listen. They could have made excuses. You say, well, how does this all tie together? They could have made excuses. Well, it's late and, and well, it's dangerous and, and we can let them know tomorrow. The point is, don't stop sharing the gospel of the risen Savior. If Jesus has done something in your life, you should want to share it with other people. Why? Because he's a continuing Savior. Jesus is alive and the scripture is alive, but not only is he a risen Savior, we saw that here at letter A, he's a risen Savior, but letter B, he is a revealed Savior. He was made known unto them. I want you to turn to Psalm chapter 8, if you would, please. Jesus was made known unto them. He was a revealed Savior. You know what? And Jesus is still making himself known unto the world. We realize that Jesus was God in the flesh. And I'm going to give you four ways that God has made known to us. Let me give you these four quick ways. First, you might want to write this down. God is revealed. He's, still, he's a continuing Savior, and he's revealed in these four ways. The first way that God is revealed to the world is through nature. Psalm chapter 8, if you would, please. The, God is revealed in four ways. The first way is through nature. Psalm chapter 8 and verse four, uh, 3, I should say. When I consider the heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? Romans 1.20, the Bible says, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so they are without excuse. Not only is God revealed in nature, but secondly, God is revealed in our conscience. God is revealed in our conscience. Romans chapter 2 states this in verse 14. For when the Gentiles, which have not, not the law, by, uh, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts, the meanwhile, accusing or else excusing one another. See, God has revealed to us through nature, through our conscience, through Jesus himself. In Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, the Bible says, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. And then the fourth way that God reveals himself to us is through the Bible. The Bible tells us in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for a doctrine and for reproof and for correction and for instruction in righteousness. See, scripture points to Jesus as a compassionate, counseling, and continuing savior. 
It's not that the person of God in Jesus Christ, or it's not that God, I should say, in the person of Jesus Christ has not been revealed to us. It's more often that we don't see him because we're not looking for him. Where is Jesus? He's in all of Scripture. See, the main thing about Christianity is not the gifts. The main thing about Christianity is not the miracles. The main thing about Christianity is not the end-time prophecies. The main thing about Christianity is not any other thing that Christians can get distracted by in Scripture. Jesus is the main point of everything in Scripture. Let me ask you something. I want you to think about your past week. What was your number one priority? What was the one thing that you had to get done last week? You say, Pastor, I had 200 things I had to get done. Now that you have that in your mind, I want you to think about something else. Since Jesus is the main point in Scripture, it should go without saying that I should know more about Jesus than anything else in Scripture. So then our number one priority or our chief end should be able to or should be to meditate and know the life of Jesus. Because when you, when you know Jesus, you'll start seeing him all over these pages. What was your number one priority? But if Jesus truly is the main point of Christianity, don't you think that our number one priority ought to be Let's just know Jesus because Jesus is better than anything.